Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. I remember back in youth days, there was many years, and we still do today, just, you know, Ben and Carrie over there uh, in youth ministry, we would tell the teenagers all the time when they were sitting there that if you are attending Living Word Church, you're called to be a leader in the body of Christ. Now, there was several of them, you know, like Pastor Josh grew up in the, the youth ministry. It's like, yes, called to be a leader. And there were seven looked at us like, you're crazy. You're crazy. What? Well, I'm here to tell you that as I, as I was sitting over there tonight, the Lord reminded me of that because if you're here tonight, you're called to be a leader in the body of Christ. There's a reason you've chose to come on a Wednesday night. And because you're here tonight, the Lord has something he wants for you to receive, but it's not just for you. It's for you to get, to understand, to adjust, to learn because he wants you to teach. He wants you to disciple others. He wants you to reach out to someone else. He wants you to text somebody else and say, hey, I've seen you in church every Sunday, but I don't see you there on Wednesday. You need more. Come on Wednesday, right, Brian? God, I love that. I love that. It's not only that he didn't get rejected, right, the 350 max. He got premium. Man, that's an awesome testimony. That just gets me fired up. Okay, we'll get ahead of myself in my sermon here. But you are here tonight because you're called to be a leader at Living Word Church. And God has someone he wants you to influence. There's someone out there that needs a text message from you saying, it's time to come to Wednesday Church. And more than a text message needs you to greet them at the door in case, come sit with me. Come sit with me. And then a text on Thursday. What'd you think about what was preached last night? Have you applied it to your life yet? What's going on? Right? Some accountability. Now, tonight's going to be interesting. <coughs> As I, oh, pardon me, coughing. I'll try not to spit on anybody. I have about enough sermon notes for the next uh, month, but we'll see what we can get in for tonight. Whatever, whatever we get in for tonight, I promise by next week I'll have it in print. You can have it with you and take with you. We try to, try to do that. Um, but I didn't know if I was supposed to print everything because I don't know how far I'm going to get. But whatever I don't get tonight, we'll continue on next week. And often into open worship, which is the first Wednesday of next month, we're going to start talking about faith for our future. But I'm going to do a series on faith, but I, I realized something. Faith is a substance, right? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance. Faith is our, is our, is a, it's a foundational principle of being a Christian, right? And I realize I've got a lot of people that I talk to on a regular basis that either have holes in their foundation or they got bricks made of sand. I'll explain that in a minute. We cannot successfully continue to build if we're not founded on the right things, Right? Right? So it says in Matthew, and I'm jumping ahead of my notes a little bit, build on the foundation of a rock, right? We'll get, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm all excited. I'm getting, getting a little jumpy here. Now, I've had several conversations with people in the last week that really bothered me. You see one on Facebook, right? Well, I, you know, thank you, President Trump, all this political stuff that's going on. And someone made a comment on there, well, the Lord appoints the presidents and kings and, it, and uh, God is in control. And I'm thinking, 
There's so much wrong with that statement. But I'm going to stick with my policy of I don't make comments on Facebook. <laughs> there are no arguments you will ever win on Facebook, by the way. That's my stance. I don't make comments. I don't make posts. I couldn't tell you the number of times where I've typed out three paragraphs and then just highlighted it all and hit delete, went back, and just kept going. Felt a little bit better that I typed it all out, but I've never commented. You will not win an argument on Facebook. If you have to argue, you're getting into a realm of world's way of doing things, and you will not succeed. It won't happen. You won't succeed. Now, I've also heard people recently that were coming that were standing in faith for something, and they misunderstood what faith meant, right? Well, I'm dealing with a health issue. I'm praying that I go see the doctor, and the doctor says everything's fine. Well, if you're dealing with a health issue, there's something that's not fine. Wouldn't you rather the doctor tell you what's not fine than you can believe for healing for what's not fine, as opposed to just denying everything, you know, ever existed, right? Faith does not call those things that be as though they're not. That's not what the Scripture says, right? Okay, we're getting there. And I'm also getting tired of people coming up to me saying, I'm just praying that things go back to normal. Because what they're really saying is I'm praying things go back to being easier as a Christian. That's what I hear. Right? Can't it go back to when, well, we were, you know, things were easier as a Christian and I didn't have to actually stand in faith for things and I could just go to church and feel good about myself and God didn't require anything. I mean, when they're saying I want to go back to normal, what was normal? What was normal? These are things that are just that are that is just ruminating on the inside of me, going, this isn't right. This isn't right. But the reason God has you here tonight is because He's going to point out some stuff in your foundation that needs a little patchwork, myself included. Okay? And we often do this. How many of you live in an older home? When we sold our house and we moved into the new house, we moved a hundred years newer. You know how many times I've checked the foundation of my new house? When I moved in. Once, when the inspection. It wasn't even me that did it. You know how many times I looked at the brick walls that were sliding in a little bit at that hundred and some odd year old house? A lot. Wondering, I don't know, we just had a really big storm. Is that wall going to come gushing in on me here? You know, I'm a little bit concerned, right? People before me were concerned because they did the old half wall in the basement right? I'm going to do the whole half cement wall to keep the brick wall from caving in. I'm going to try to give it some support. Then you got people that gave up altogether, jacked the house up, tore it out, and put a brand new basement under it. You know, they're just redoing it all. How many feel like that sometimes in your walk with God where you're like, all right, Lord, we're just going to jack the house up, wipe this foundation out, build a brand new one, and keep going, right? I remember I had a 71 Charger, hand-me-down car from my brother Brian, got it from Grandma, who passed it on to Mark, who passed it on to me, Right? You ever had one of those cars, this kind of hand-me-down car? And we were running across a problem with the engine not running quite right. And through help of a friend, Danny, finally figured out it was a frame issue. Something was bent, and the engine would, wasn't mounted right. I don't even know. I'm not a car guy. You can ask Pastor Josh. He's the car guy. All I know is the structural foundation of the car was messed up, and it affected the performance of the entire car. It still ran. I still drove it. Still drove it too fast, but it affected its performance. So you can be a functioning Christian. You can do what God's calling you to do. You can still get there fast, but are you doing it to your optimal performance? This is a self-evaluation tonight. This message tonight might step on some toes. I'm telling you that ahead of time. I'm going to put that out there. 
I'm not here to condemn you. There's a reason why we listen to these messages together. I expect Pastor Doug, Pastor Josh, Rihanna, Lucinda, there are people that I have surrounded myself with that when I'm going through a problem, they're there to help me, right? How many watch the home remodel shows? And when they're going to take a wall out, they brace the ceiling first, right, Mr. Construction Guys? I mean, if you don't, your roof was going to come down on you, and then you were going to have serious problems, then you're going to be building a whole new house. There are times when you have to work on the foundation of what's going on that you're best to be in church, surrounded by people that you know are not judging you, not looking at you sideways. They're here to love you and want to see you succeed and be the best that God created you to be. And they are the structural foundational support that helps support what's going on in your life so you can fix problems that are in your foundation. That's why we're in church. And if you're looking around at someone else going, oh man, I can't believe, then you're not here for the right reason. If you are here to support them so that they can get stronger and produce more, you're here for the right reason. And that's why you're all here. That's why God called you to be here. There's no one here looking around with judgment. Now, am I in faith? I put that on Facebook today. Am I in faith? Someone asked me that recently. Am I in faith? If you have to ask, we got a, we got a sand brick somewhere we need to work on. What is faith? So, you know, I did what every preacher typically does. Well, if you're asking this question, we really need to kind of back up here. And then, and then well, to think about that, we, we probably should back up. I ended up in Genesis 1-1, you know, because you work your way backwards and backwards, right? What is faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? Exactly. What does it mean to be a Christian? See, if you don't know what it means to be a Christian, you're not going to know what it means to stand in faith because faith is a foundation of Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian, in its essence, is to be like Christ, right? We're to be more like Him. He came to this world. He taught us. He led by example, which is what we're supposed to do for other people is lead by example, which is why we get the truth first, and then we can help them. And there are times where we're still working through the process or we're still standing in faith for someone, and God will have us start praying for someone else for the very, very exact thing that we're standing in faith for. That's how He works. That's how He works. What does it mean to be a Christian? So you can't understand faith if you don't know why. So I've spent a lot of time in the last two days asking myself, why? Now, in Isaiah 2.5, it really opened my eyes. It says, O house of Jacob, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Remember that. We're going to come back to that later. The light of the Lord. For you have spoken... You. I mean, you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. And what I looked up in the, in the dictionary was talking about humanitarianism. And it said they are soothsayers, which means they're observers of the times. How many have friends on Facebook like that that are observers of the times, that want to tell you everything they're observing? Which Bible says soothsayers, even has the word witchcraft in there. Like the Philistines. And they are pleased with the children of foreigners. They are pleased with the production of the world and the church blended together. Their land is also full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses and there's no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols, things they have made important and placed above God. 
They worship the work of their own hands, what they can do and produce, and what their own fingers have made. The lofty looks, which is uh, talking about haughtiness, arrogance, superiority, of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. The root, the cancer that is causing so many people, not just Christians, people, the world right now problems is selfishness, haughtiness. It's about me. What can I do? What can I produce? And that has crept into the church, and we have a hybrid going on, and it's being celebrated. It's being celebrated. So we have to go back and realize our foundation, some, some people, maybe not yours, but people that you are called to disciple and work with have a foundation that's built half brick, half sand. When I use that brick sand, I'm talking about the house built on the rock versus the house built on the sand, winds and waves came, right? We're going to get there in a minute. But that's a half brick, half sand. And if you have a sand brick, it just crumbles in your hands. I had bricks like that in my basement. They were just crumbling. I'm sweeping them up every week going, this brick is just crumbling away, you know? (laughs) Is it going to hold up this house? This two-story house, a big, massive house. And I'm just looking at this foundation, wondering what's going to happen. You know, pricing out $40,000 for a new foundation. That's when we decided we're buying something different. (laughs) I don't want to mess with it. We're starting over. I want to come home to a house that does not scream at me, fix this, fix this, fix this, right? I don't have time for that. I I got other things I need to do. There's other things God's asking me to do, and it's not working on my house all the time, right? The house was a blessing, and it made us money, and actually it blessed us because God led us to it. It blessed us, but it was for that time, and we've moved on. Now, to understand the foundation of our Christianity and the difference, right? Um, there was an FBI guy, and I forget his name, but he was like the world-renowned counterfeit FBI. I mean, he hunted down counterfeit bills. He was the professional, and he was asked, and I've, I've shared this in youth ministry, but he was asked, you know, do you study all of these different counterfeits and all of the different ways that they're trying to, you know, do all this? And he says, no, so I don't study any of that. He said, I study the real thing, and I know the American dollar so well that as soon as I see a counterfeit, I recognize it instantly by studying the real dollar. Now, for us to recognize what's crept into the church, not living word, but the body of Christ, we have to know the kingdom of heaven so well that when we see something that's not of heaven, we'll go, hey, that's not God, right? Now, how many of y'all are married? Quite a few of you are here married, right? If someone were to walk up to me and try to tell me, Tiffany said, I am going to be 99% accurate on whether they're right or not. I have spent 18 years with that beautiful woman, and I can pretty much tell you if it's her words or not, right? Because I know her. You want to be able to detect deception in your life? You have to know him. You got to know him. Okay. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, ever, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Good foundation, right? But everyone who hears these things of mine and doesn't do them. So here's the difference between building your house with good foundation and poor foundation. Jesus taught the word to both. Did you do it? Or do not do it? See, you can know him. But if you don't do what he says to do, then you're not building your foundation in the right area. You can come to church. You can hear the word preached. It's a great word. 
We've got wonderful word content here. Pastor Sunday message was spot on. Loved it. Pastor Josh last week thoroughly enjoyed it. Been asking my kids, come home, tell me what, what tell me what you heard, right? They're supposed to come home and not be playing with toys in church, and they're supposed to tell dad this is what I heard. Because I want them to be accountable and responsible at a young age to sit and listen, right? This is why we're in church. I remember, and this, this came from a Pastor Doug message. I remember being a kid, being in this church as a kid, and my parents doing the exact same thing. You reach an age, right? We're not going to go home and ask Emery, what did you learn in church today, right? But you reach an age where you're like, it's time to sit and listen. You can sit and listen. If you can sit and listen in school, you can sit and listen in church because it's a whole lot shorter. The Word will reach all ages and all generations. Anyway, now, you got to hear it. you got to do it. So we have to discover in our life where's our sandy bricks. Like I said, this process might be a little painful to some. But see, so many Christians, I would say 80, 90% of Christians out there are solely focusing their faith on finances, family, and health, or health, family, finances, whatever order you want to put it in. Every time I talk to somebody out there, what do you believe in God for? It's one of those three areas. Those are the top three. Right? So I started asking myself, why? Now on Sunday, now I'll use this as an example, but on Sunday, a pastor asked us to minister. But he also gave specific instructions in his message. And I can go there at this level because you guys, teachers, leaders, right? You might be looking at me saying, amen, Pastor Paul. You might be looking at me saying, really? Me? I just came on a Wednesday night. If you're here, you're called to be a leader. Just accept it. Now, Pastor also said, when you come and you're standing in faith, there's a seed that needs to be sown with it too, right? So every time someone came up and I said, what are you standing in faith for? And they would tell me, I say, what's your seed? Most of them said, this is what I know my seed is. Some of them are like, I don't even know. But see, there's a way. When God says do something, there's a specific way he wants it done. How many times has pastor said, you need to come quickly to the altar because the anointing is here? When he says that, he means quickly. He means don't wait to just go up there while he's talking. Run to the altar. Get what God has for you. Because the quicker you will respond to the word of the Lord, the better it will sink in in your life. How many times have you had to tell your kid something? Over and over and over and over and over, right? You want a fresh example? We now have two full trash cans at our house. Because um, although the trash has come every Wednesday for years upon years now, and it's responsibility of the older boys to put out the trash, it didn't get done. Even though mom on the way out of the house said, put out the trash. Still two full trash cans sitting next to my house that dad now has to deal with because somebody didn't listen, even though we've told them over and over and over, and it's been consistent on Wednesdays for I don't know how long. How many times do you think God looks at us that way and says, I've told you over and over and over, and it's been this way. I wrote the word thousands of years ago. This truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, Lord. All right. Have we ever stopped to ask ourselves why? Why am I a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Why did you ever choose to come to Living Word Church? Why are you a Christian? So you can't really know if your faith is working and how, how strong your faith is if you don't even know why you're a Christian. Why did I choose to give my heart to Christ? We're going to go all the way back to the foundation. I told you that, right? I want to understand faith. We're going to go back to the foundation. Why am I a Christian? The core of my belief is I'm not... There's a difference between my Christianity, my salvation, and my calling, being a pastor, right? So let's go to my, my salvation. 
I wanted him to be my Lord because I know that I want to spend eternity with him, right? I want to go to heaven, spend eternity with him, the, my creator, my master, my savior. I want, I want to put him first in everything. This, that's the core. That has nothing to do with my calling as a pastor. But a lot of people I've realized in conversations I've had with some teenagers recently think that to live with lordship in your life at that level, then you must be called to be a pastor. Oh, the deception that has crawled into that generation of thinking they can a la carte church. Because that's basically what they're doing. See, every Christian is called to go Right? Every Christian, it says in Matthew, is called to go ye therefore. That's not just preachers. That's all of us. That's all of us. We all have the Great Commission. We're all called to go. We all know that people are the single most important thing to God. So we, will, we know what we're supposed to go do. Bring more people to heaven. Show more people that their Creator loves them and wants the best for them. We all know what God has called us to do. Are we doing it? So why am I a Christian? Why am I a Christian? Because I want him to be Lord, I, I, because I, I love him more. I'm, I'm a Christian just as much as I'm married. I'm married because I love this woman, and God gave her to me, and she's a, a phenomenal helpmate, and our callings are intertwined, and, and I just could go on and on and on and on and on. And the same thing about my Lord. I love my Lord Jesus. We are intertwined. We are in that covenant relationship, and I want him to be first in my life, right? Now, if you've done this, I'm not stepping on your toes, but we like to go on vacation, right? Never have we ever looked at each other and said, you go on a vacation with your friends and I'm going to go on a vacation with my friends and we'll just meet back in a week, see you later. We've never, either of us, even thought that. Now, I know some people have, and if that's you, I'm not trying to say you're right or wrong. I'm just saying, we are so committed in this marriage relationship that when I don't have time with her, I get frustrated. I want, to, I want to spend time with my wife, right? And the world wars against that with all the stuff you got to do and all the things that are going on. And there are times I just want to go on vacation. You know, we, we, went on, we were supposed to go on a cruise in March that got canceled because everything going on, everything got canceled. And it was frustrating, not because I wanted to sit on the beach, although that was nice. The location was nice, but the location was conducive to increasing time with my wife. There's a reason why I wanted to go on the vacation, right? There's a reason why. So I ask you today, why do you raise pigs? I, I use that because he was standing up here, but why do you do what you do? Why do you have the job that you have? Why are you in the job? How many times have you sat back and asked yourself that question and, and evaluated that? Why, do, why am I working at, at Gibson Air Hospital? I can tell you why, because God told me to even though I had a, at the time that I took the job there, it was way less money than I was ever making. He was leading my steps, right? Guiding me. So why are you at the job you're at? Why are you encouraging your kids to go to the school that they're going to or the career path that they're going down? Why? See, and I have told people this from day one, every job that I've ever had, and I've had bosses that have bucked me on it, that have questioned it. I'm not saying every job I ever had was ordered by the Lord, but for the most part, they were. But I would tell them while I'm there, I am working this job to provide for my family to be able to give into the kingdom so that I can sow my time into winning people to Christ. 
That's my, that's my purpose. And they would say, oh, that's because you're a pastor, you know, because you know, you're a youth pastor. You have a calling on your life. Or I don't just, I don't understand that. Why don't you go back to, I get that question a lot now. Why don't you go back to college? Well, I'll go back to college if God tells me to go back to college, but he's not, so I'm not. But the pressure's there, right? Every time something new comes out, I don't know the pig world. I probably shouldn't have picked that as an example. Sorry. <laughs> I was really motivated by your testimony. It was awesome. But why do you choose to do something new when it comes to pigs? Is it because God said to do something new? Right? See, people will question, well, you went to work at the hospital and it was paying less than you were making before. That doesn't seem like a good financial decision. Well, at the time, I had to look beyond finances. I had to look beyond appearances and go with what the Lord was telling me to do. Why are you working the job that you're working? Okay, that's question number one. Number two, if God told you to take this job and to be working there, then it's, it's more than just collecting a paycheck. You are not just at your job to collect a paycheck. Because if God instructed you to work there, then there's more to it. What are, you should be getting up every morning. Lord, what am I supposed to be doing while I'm at work today to further your kingdom? I'm going to do my job because that's what they're paying me to do. But while I'm doing that, I'm still a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm still under the kingdom of heaven's rules and guidelines. What am I supposed to be producing for the kingdom? What am I supposed to be doing for the kingdom? Are we asking ourselves that when we go into work? Why are our finances the way they are? Why is the, the number of my check register the way that it is? and yours the way that it is. If you have faith out there that God bless you for more finances, right? Because your finances aren't what you think they should be. Why? I'm not saying it's wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying, why? What's your motivation behind it? What's your heart behind it? Why are you believing God for finances? Is it just because you want more stuff and a nicer car? See, that's what Pastor was saying on Sunday. You can believe God for a car, but if you're not believing God for a car to further the kingdom, then why would God provide? Why would the hospital send me to a conference just because I wanted to go spend time in a tropical area? If it doesn't further the hospital, why would they foot the bill for me? You see, it's, it, we, we think that way, and it's acceptable when it comes to work, but when it comes to kingdom things, we go, oh, that's just, well, God's just supposed to do it because he loves me. Well, I don't always do everything my kids want because I love them. Or else they would have a whole lot different stuff and a whole different wardrobe and the brand new PS5. And If I always did what my kids want just because I love them, our whole family would look different. Now, I do love my children, but I also do what I do because I love my children, even though they might look at it and not see it as love. Amen? I make decisions for my children knowing that they're growing. And I know that God is making decisions for me knowing that I'm growing. Why is my health the way it is? I'm currently back at the gym again. <laughs> I've gone back and forth, back and forth. Because I'm a person that doesn't stay skinny all the time. Right? That's just... Not, not there. It's fine. I'll, I'll be healthy. You know, and as I, as, I, as I go back this time, and I've said this many other times, I've talked about my weight. It's something that is out there. But I can honestly tell you why I am the weight I am. And I can say it unashamedly in front of you and my wife and everybody else. I like chocolate. I like pizza. I like things that aren't good for me and are really fat and unhealthy. 
I know why I'm carrying extra weight. And it's not the doctor's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's not McDonald's fault. It's not Monocle's fault. It's not Dairy Queen's fault. Right? It's mine. It's my choices. It's my choices. I could just as easily choose not to eat those things as I was choosing to eat those things. I always tell my wife, I wish it was just as easy to drop weight as it was to put it on because COVID hit and boom, I went up 25 pounds. Mike, I wish, boom, I could go down 25 pounds just as fast as boom, I went up 25 pounds, but it doesn't quite work like that, right? I know, I know. So why is my marriage the way that it is? Good or bad. A lot of wonderful things about my marriage that are a lot like Monocles and Dairy Queen. And If I chose the easy stuff that seemed good at the time, I wouldn't have the strength in my marriage that I have now. I've chosen the hard things. I've chosen to have conversations that were uncomfortable. I've chosen to be open with my wife and admit when I have faults and things going on. I've chosen to have a marriage relationship as close to the relationship I have with God as possible. I've chosen to honor my wife and put her above my needs. Sometimes I don't want to. Can I tell myself? You, you, she doesn't mind. She doesn't care if I tell myself. I got up the other night. We're, we kind of have the same routine. A lot of people have the same routine. But right before bed, I usually go in. I use the restroom, and I take a few gummy vitamins. I don't like the gummy vitamins. It's a semblance that I'm doing something wrong, but that is actually right. Maybe that's what it is. I don't even know. But I got my gummy vitamins, and I got my gummy fiber, and I'm doing all this gummy stuff, you know, making it feel like I'm eating a fruit snack or something. I don't know. My wife says to me, oh, you're in there. Can you grab mine too? And I'm thinking, well, she's got vitamins, and then there's like five other bottles over here. And I'm exaggerating. It's not that many. But I, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do that. I was already in bed. I'm already comfortable. I just came up to do this one final thing, and then I'm going to crawl back in bed. Right? And I'm like, oh, I guess. Is it really that big a deal to pull a few vitamins out of a bottle and hand it to my wife when I'm already standing there? No, but does my flesh want to do it? Not necessarily. And I'm like, oh, you know, and she looked at me and said, I just want to say that kind of hurt a little bit. And I'm going, oh, Paul. But we all have those moments where we want to just slip back into me. We see too many of those moments, and it wars against our faith, against our very core of Christianity. It's because the very core of me being a Christian is it's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. I've chosen to put him as Lord of my life, not me. Because I want his outcome for my life, not mine. Right? And when I chose to get married, I chose to put her needs above mine. No matter if I'm tired or if I feel like it. Now, she loves me enough not to Grumble. She made a little comment that I picked up on. I'm like, okay, we're going to fix this. Right? Come on now. Tell it on myself. Okay, watch your toes. <laughs> Why do your kids act the way they do? People always get upset when you start talking about their kids. I've learned this through years of youth ministry. I can tell you why my kids act the way they do. We'll talk about my kids. Let's talk about your kids are perfect. Perfect. Let's talk about my kids. Why do my kids not take the trash out on Wednesdays? <laughs> even though I've told them to, right? 
Well, maybe because that one time mom was walking out the door and said, hey, change that puppy pad behind your chair because, you know, it's my dog, even though I got it for her. And then I get to doing something else and take a shower and go to work and come home from work. She's like, puppy pad still isn't changed. Oh, why do my kids do what they do? They're doing what I taught them. They're doing with the example I put before them. They're only accountable to what I'm showing them to do, which is why we lead by example, which is why discipleship is a lot like parenting. You're showing them what to do by your own actions. I could not tell you the number of times I've sat down with parents and teenagers, and it was our rule in years of youth ministry. If a teenager came up and they wanted to complain about mom and dad, we would stop them and say, look, mom and dad are the head of the house. If you want us to go with you and have a conversation as a whole group to work out something going on, we're happy to do so. But mom and dad are in charge. That's the way God set it up. And so we had those conversations. And I would bite the end of my tongue off time and time again when mom and dad would be like, I can't believe they're like this. And I'm looking at them going, you're like that. That's you. Do you not see this? They are acting just like you. My goodness gracious. So we want to be imitators of Christ. We want to be like him. But he has grace and mercy on us when we forget to take trash out. Right? Come on now. So what does it mean to be Christ-like? There's times where we've got to ask ourselves these questions. Why? Why am I using my faith for this. Why? Why do I want a new car? Why am I standing in faith for healing? Why are you standing in faith for healing? Well, because I don't want to die. Okay. Is that enough? Well, I mean, everybody doesn't want to die, but if you're a Christian, you're going to heaven to be with Jesus. So if you don't want to die, then that means you want to produce more kingdom while you're on this earth. Because if that's your reason for standing in faith for healing, then you're in the right path. If you're wanting to stay on this earth because God's got more for you to do, and if he's got more for you to do, then your healing's already yours, and it shouldn't be much of a thought. We'll get there. So what does it mean to be Christ-like? Remember back in Matthew when he said, hear these sayings? See, what a lot of people don't realize when he say, hear these sayings, build your house on the rock. He had just taught an entire sermon, right? He was at the altar call, basically. He's at the end of the message. He started with the blessed is the poor in spirit. You jump all the way back. That was the beginning of the sermon. He started, he's all the way to the altar call now, and he's saying, if you want to have a house and a life built on truth that will last and weather the storms because storms will come. Trials will come. Problems will come. But if you want your house to be built on a firm foundation, you got to do what I just taught you. So let's back it up. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He called all of those a blessing, even the persecution. But see, then he proceeded to teach a sermon. Now, I've been here for, how long have we been here? 15 years. You know, in the last 15 years, I don't know that I've ever seen any notes come from Pastor Doug that didn't have blue headers and red highlights and some bold. 
right? All of Pastor Doug's notes have been the same even through staff meeting, right? And as I was reading these three chapters, the Lord started taking things and highlighting it in blue. And I thought, oh, just like Pastor Doug does. Look at there, it's highlighted in blue. Some things bolding out and some things red. But highlighted in blue, you are the salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 and 16, 13 through 16. Salt is a symbol of lasting agreement because it protects food from, from putrefaction and preserves it unchanged. It also means wisdom and grace exhibited in your speech. When you're the salt of the earth, you should have wisdom and grace pouring out of your words. That's what he's called you to be, wisdom and grace and speech. And what's the light? Where is the light? What does the Bible say? God is light. So if you are the light in this world, you're to be shining God in this world and be the preservation and speaking wisdom and grace. That's what he said. He said, we're supposed to be the salt and the light. Are you bringing light to your workplace? Are you bringing light to your marriage? Are you bringing light to your finances? Are you bringing light to your kids? Do all your kids do is hear you yell at you, take out the trash, take out the trash? Or are they hearing you say, God loves you and he has great things for you? And I can see, man, he's got a calling on your life. And you're beautifully and wonderfully made. He gave you that artistic ability and the ability to draw. He gave you that ability to see things and, and dress fashionable. He made you this way. How are you talking to your children? If you are constantly beating them down, they will look to someone else to exhort them. And you'll lose the ability to lead them. And so if that's the one thing I could tell parents through years and years of youth ministry, if you are not an exhorter for your child, they will find somebody. And it's not always the person you want it to be. How do you think gangs are so successful? Because they tell them they can be something. They encourage them. They might make it hard and do it through a worldly way, but that's the draw of being in a gang. Acceptance, promotion, stature. If you're not encouraging your kids, they will find someone that will, whether it be a boyfriend or girlfriend, and then end up in a poor situation. Be an exhorter to your children. Now, be the salt and light. He also said Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. The Old Testament was our, was our examples, was our real-life testimony of how God wanted to do things, of how he, you know, in the beginning, he created Adam and Eve because he wanted to know them. He wanted to have a relationship with them. And by choosing sin, it separated them from God. That's what sin does. Sin brings death. Death is ultimate separation from God. If you die and you don't know Jesus and you end up in hell, you are eternally separated from God. That's what's on the line. See, when you look at someone that might have a rough exterior, you should look at them and say, do I really want this person to be forever, eternally separated from their Creator? See, you can overlook a lot of stuff when you look at it that way. But see, when Jesus is sitting there looking through the eyes of compassion saying, I died on the cross for this person. I know there's a lot of junk going on in their life, but I died on the cross for them. Won't you try? Won't you try? Can't you grab the vitamins? Can't you leave the house 30 minutes early to give someone a ride? 
Can't you send a text message? Won't you try? Won't you try? It says in chapter 5, verse 21 to 32, that sin is a heart issue. There are no physical actions that you will ever take that don't start in here. Don't start in here. That's why they call it premeditated murder. Even not premeditated murder still starts in here through anger or passion or whatever. If I get up in the morning and go to the gym, it's because it started in here. If I don't get up in the morning and go to the gym, it's because it started in here. The decision is made here long before the action ever takes place. When sin happens in your life, it started in here long before it ever came out. And the place to deal with it, that's what Jesus was telling us. In those scriptures, he was saying, you say, you know, someone who commits adultery. I'm saying someone who looks sideways and lusted after a woman has already started in here long before the action ever took place out here. That's what he's telling us. We have to check sin here. When we feel the tinge of what's going on in here is when we make the adjustment, not when it turns into an action. So are you walking in anger, hatred, unforgiveness? What's going on in here? What's going on in here? See, a lot of times when you, when, you, when you work with people, that's a great question to ask them because when you look at them and say, okay, I know you're standing in faith, but is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Because that's usually the number one thing that will prevent your faith from working is if you have unforgiveness in your life. It's a great place to start with people. There are people that tout it. I, I know people that are like, I'll never go back to that place. I am known for, I am worldwide known for holding grudges. I'm like, why would you be proud of that? They are. That's a world system. I'm going to punish you. I, right? It's, there's a lot of selfishness involved in grudges and unforgiveness. It's all about you. It's all about you. Jesus said, won't you try? I died on the cross for them. I shed my blood for them. Sin is a heart issue. I'm not getting as far as I wanted to and we're running out of time. Sin is a heart issue. Repentance is the beginning of growth in every area of your life. Repentance is the beginning of growth. Now, it happened today with the trash issue, but it happens with a lot of other issues. And I, my boys know that living in my house means you're a servant example, and it's fine. And they're across the street. And it's just trash. It's nothing major, you know. There's nothing crazy going on. But what's your first gut instinct reaction when mom says, I told you to take out the trash. It's now too late. Trash hasn't come out. But I had this, but I had this, but, right, excuses. All of a sudden, we start throwing walls up. There's all this problem. That's when dad steps in and says, all you need to say is I'm sorry and don't raise your voice because you will get in trouble. See, that's what I'm looking. When, I, when I'm going to my kids and saying, this was missed, this was missed, I'm not looking for excuses. I'm sure there are. You can find excuses for anything. I can tell you legitimate excuses for anything because we can sell ourselves out of the promises of God very easily. When all God's wanting us to say is, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll change. Let's move on. That's what I'm looking for from my kids, right? How many of you know as a parent when something like that happens and their response is, oh, Dad, I missed it. I'm so sorry. I know there's all this stuff, but I should have caught that. 
forgive me. And you're sitting there going, I don't even want to punish you now. <laughs> I got the response I was looking for, right? God's the same way. God's the same way. He's not wanting to punish us. He's not up there with giant fly swatter ready to smack someone on the head. That's, he's a rewarder, not a punisher. That's not who he is. It's not his nature. That's not who God is. God wants to bless us and reward us. And all he's looking for is for us to have the right heart and come to him and say, I'm sorry, I screwed up. Forgive me. Repentance is the beginning of growth. We should always start with repentance. When something's not going right in your life, don't blame God. Ask for forgiveness. Lord, I messed up somewhere. I'm not even sure where it is. Show me where I messed up so I can fix it. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's not one making mistakes. He also says, say what you mean, mean what you say in chapter 5, 33 to 37. It says, don't swear by anything. Speak the truth. See, we've gotten so used to using empty words that it's creeping over and ruining our faith. We use a lot of empty words, right? We've created a whole new language called sarcasm. I'm just as guilty as the next guy, right? We've created this whole new language of things that are meaningless. I'm going to say it, but I don't mean it. Well, you should know that I didn't mean that. Well, if you didn't mean it, don't say it. The Bible says, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Not your yay be, well, you should know I really meant nay. Well, you should have known, right? Wives, don't look at your husband and say, you should have just known. Guarantee you, they don't know. They don't know. They'll learn if you keep working with them. It's like a puppy. They'll potty train eventually, but they don't know. We're, we're not the brightest in the box sometimes. We require some work, right? God gives you to us like a project. You just work on us. It's like he's working on us. Come on now. Don't use empty words. Empty words destroy your faith. Empty words will destroy your faith. Your words should be faith-filled, right? He created this world with his words, through faith. Scientists took the atom and split it all the way down. And you know what they call the very thing that holds the, new, the, the whole atom together? They call it the God particle because they can't explain what it is. I can tell you what it is. It's his word. He spoke it and said it be, and it was. And he created us in his image, and we're supposed to be the same way. What we bless is blessed. What we curse is cursed. So what are you cursing? And what are you blessing? Kingdom ways will clash with the world's way. Chapter 5, 38 through chapter 6, 4. Kingdom ways and the world's ways will not mix. You'll end up with a hybrid, which is what the devil's really trying to do to the church right now, is to get this useless, powerless hybrid, half world, half kingdom, and full of nothing. But that's what he's trying to do. Not here at Living Word Church, because we have great leadership that's leading us in the right path, and y'all know the difference, and you have studied the real so much, you know the fake, and you kick it out of your house. Amen? Because that's Living Word Church. Now, it says in these scriptures first, go beyond what's expected of you, right? He asked for your shirt, give him your coat too. Go beyond what's expected of you. Should have looked at my wife and said, well, here's all your vitamins. You need me to go get you a bottle of water? Is there anything else I can get for you? I know it seems silly, and I know that most husbands are going, ha, ha, okay. 
But if I'm not going to learn it in the little things, am I going to learn it in the big things? Do we go beyond what's expected of us? Okay, God, you told me I'm supposed to bake these cookies and take it over to their house, and I'm going to pray. You know, I made that casserole, and it's in the freezer. I'm going to go ahead and pull it out and thought, I'm going to just take that too. Right? Go beyond what's expected of you. Well, I just finished mowing my yard. I'm just going to keep on going and mow the neighbor's yard too. Bless them. I think they're heading off on vacation. Maybe it'll save them some time. Which works really good, unless you're Pastor Doug's neighbor, because... He likes to mow his yard, and it, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's a lot like me. We're very particular about how our yard looks, and like, oh, my line's straight. And I can tell you exactly why I'm that way, because my dad was that way. <laughs> it goes back to father's children. Okay, yes. <clears throat> Unless you're daughter-in-law, then you can mow all kinds of patterns in the yard, and he just says, oh, it looks great. <laughs> I would have got chastised as a child for mowing like that. But she's all, oh, it's great. Yeah, they love her more than me. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. I'm okay with it. Then he says, love your enemies. That doesn't sound like the world's way. I hold grudges. I'll never go there again. The Bible says, love your enemies. Love, do good to those that persecute you. Love your enemies. This is not, see, the kingdom system and the kingdom way and the world's way, they don't match. When you have someone that's like, oh, we should get them. That's the world's way. I don't want any part of that. But they did us wrong. I don't care. That's the world's way. I don't want any part of that. But they affected so many people and they destroyed so much. I don't care. That's, that's the world's way. I don't want any part of that. God says love them. Love them. It says do good to please God, not to please men. Why are you doing the good that you're doing? Is it so you get accolades? Because self, if it is, selfishness is creeping in. Right? I'm not going to take those cookies and that and then take a picture of it and post it on social media. Look who I blessed today. <laughs> I know that seems silly. And I haven't seen any of that. Thank goodness in our church nobody does that. Lord have mercy. Then it says we need to learn how to pray the right way. Because we can pray for our own glory. And said his glory. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? And then there's a really hard one. Watch your toes. He doesn't say, if you choose fasting, he says, when you fast, which tells me fasting is a kingdom lifestyle. So why? I asked him that hard today. Why is fasting a kingdom lifestyle? Says the fat man. Why is, king, why is fasting a kingdom lifestyle? And you know what he told me? Fat, because it helps us keep our priorities where they need to be. I am not going to let anything be Lord of my life. Anything. I'm not going to let food dominate me. I'm not going to let food dominate me. You start the diet, make it week one in, all of a sudden someone shows up at the house and they got a cheeseburger and you're like, oh man, that smells good. And that food starts talking to you. Now for me, it's not the cheeseburgers. It's the box of black and white chocolates that was given to us for the third time that happens to still be left and that chocolate is screaming. It tastes so good. 
but I don't want anything to have control, that level of control. Television. Let's get off food, move on to TV. Oh, I can't do that. My favorite show's on. I'm going to binge watch this and stay up till four o'clock in the morning to see all these different episodes of what's going on and then be miserable the whole next day because I got no sleep, but I got to see my show. How many know people like that that are wrapped up in television to that level? What did pastors say a few weeks ago? Video games. Those are all idols. They become that place where they start to take the place of God in your life. They're distractions. Why? Why am I watching this TV show? What eternal purpose does this show have for me? Why am I Why am I eating this cheeseburger? Why do I eat in the first place? Why? Does me eating healthy versus me eating not healthy, which one helps further the kingdom? Well, if I choose to eat healthy and I stay not, not necessarily bone skinny, but I stay in shape and fit to be able to produce the kingdom, right? See, that's where I was wrong in my faith in the past is I would just believe God to look good. Why? Was it because of vanity? I just wanted to look good? Or was it because I actually wanted to stay on this earth longer to produce the kingdom? Why do I want to believe God for a new car? Am I going to do anything with it for the kingdom? Why did we believe God for the new house that we're in? Was it just because I didn't want to come home and work on a house? Part of it. But when I set my faith out there for a new house, I said, God, working on this house is stealing time that I want to be able to put into the kingdom. And a lot of Christians start that way. When they're believing God for something, they say, Lord, this is doing something that is keeping me. I don't have the money I want to give when there's a project going on at the church. I don't have the time available to go help with the food pantry. I, I want to be able to go do this, right? And then God's, and they have their faith in the right place, and God says, okay, I'm going to bless you with that. And then they take the blessing and use it for themselves. Oh, God gave me a little bit extra. We're going to go on vacation. God's so good. He just loves me so much. Now, I'm not saying don't go on vacation. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying, when the blessing comes in, what are you doing with it? God gave you more time so you can binge watch more TV? See, if when we're standing in faith for something and the answer comes, do we recognize it as the answer? That's where a lot of people are missing it. Because the next time you stand in faith, it's even harder. Oh, I've got so much more. We'll wrap it up. I've got so much more. Treasure is not stored up here. Your treasure should not be in this world. This world will rust, decay, and if you have set your whole life up finding treasure in this world, why? Why? The Bible says store up treasures in heaven. How do you store up treasures in heaven? By winning people. People are what God treasures. And by bringing them into the kingdom, helping them be a better Christian and be more like him so that they can in turn influence others and bring more people into the kingdom, that's how you're storing up treasures in heaven. And heaven is eternity. Pastor was talking recently about people passing away, and I don't want to say it was at an executive level meeting that we were having and he was saying, people don't realize that if you do the math on the day as is a thousand years, it's basically if I pass away and get to heaven, 
by the blink of my eye, the rest of my family's there with me because time on heaven and earth is so different. I won't even realize I was ever without them. Where on earth we might be in heaven, it's, there, it, there's so much a difference in time, and we focus so much on the time that we have here on this earth and obtaining things on this earth, and it's a speck in the eternity God has planned for us. And he's saying people are important. So next week, we're going to tear into this. We're going to keep talking about how to make our faith more effective. Why? What's, what's causing our faith to not be effective? That's kind of what we focus on tonight. And I've got a whole lot more. We'll continue into it next week. And then I encourage you in, in two weeks, we're going to have an open worship. We're going to have the youth over here. All the kids are going to be in here. I encourage you find kids. We're going to talk about faith for the future and what God has for you, Right? I've had a lot of kids coming up to me, well, should I go to college? And you know, my answer to them always is, you should do what God is telling you to do. If God's telling you to go to college, then there's a reason. And if you're at that college, you should be doing something for Him. Because if He sent you there, then He knew you were going to be there, and there's a task while you're there, as well as what it will give you to be able to accomplish for the kingdom. We have to start changing our mindset. Right? There's a whole generation that has gone past that has told their kids, you can grow up and be whatever you want to be. That's a lie. That's a blended kingdom world thinking. You can be what God has called you and made you to be. Called you and made you to be. And that's what we need to be telling our kids. Are you asking God? I told my kids now, they're juniors in high school. We've still got time. But I'm telling them, what has God called you to be? What does God want you to be? where it, your faith needs to be on His plan for your life because it will be where the blessing is. It'll be, it won't necessarily be the easiest. It won't necessarily make the most sense. Working at the hospital did not make sense at the time when I took the job, but I knew God said, do it, so I did it. I didn't understand it. And in the world's system, in the world's way, it made zero sense. And everybody told me that will be done. You're taking a third of the money that you could get. See, a lot of times when you go by the kingdom way, the world will, will balk at you and tell you you're wrong. You can't do it that way. It won't work that way. And God's saying, this is my way. And it will always prove out to be true, which is why we have to know his way. Because if God's saying, don't go to college to your kids, then you have to know that it's God saying that. Or if you're saying, go to college, you better know it's God saying that. Because the college education system in America is set up to twist your kids' thinking. I deal with it time and time and time again. They come back confused because they're not rooted in their faith to know, why am I a Christian? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I at this college? If you don't know why, if that is not rooted and grounded in you, then your faith will be messed up by a bunch of other people and the world of confusion the devil wants to throw at you. So bring kids in two weeks. We're going to talk about faith for the future. God will start talking to your kids as young as they will listen. He will. He'll, he'll tell your little kids. There, there are things that God had told Brock and Aiden when they were small. We went and shared those with Pastor, and Pastor said this is what he brought in some, some revelation side. When they were saying this, this is he saw the prophetic calling on Brock's life when we first moved here. He pointed it out. And it's still rung true to this day. 
God will tell your kids and begin to reveal not only to you, but through the pastoral leadership of the church, he'll begin to reveal the calling on your kid's life at a very young age. And they can start stepping out in the right path and not get all the distractions, not be weighed down by the world's system and the world's thinking. And it's not too late. I don't care if they're in college. It's not too late. God's callings are not with They don't go away. He still wants to show to them and reveal to them what He has for them. Amen? So I encourage you, when you come back next week, bring somebody. Who are you texting this week? I saw you on church Sunday. Didn't see you there Wednesday. Can I come by and give you a ride? Is your car broken? Can I come by and help you fix it? You need some gas money? Will you try? Will you try? Will you try? They need to know this. They need to be here. They need to be alongside of you. It's not a one-time thing. Remember, go on to Thursday, text them up. Hey, what'd you get from the message last night? Right? That's what discipleship is. We are going to grow together. Because as we're here and God is working on our foundation, we are the support for each other. I am thankful for the Dubais. I'm thankful. They are supports in our church. They have helped us through emotional and, 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 and family crises and things that have gone on. I am thankful that they are here. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Carter family. My goodness, they have been on the worship team and sowed worship seeds for years and years to come and will receive a harvest on the seeds that they've sown from generations down for their continued dedication, time, and faithfulness. God will reward them. I'm thankful for the Kendrick family, for the stability Mr. Kendrick, man's like a rock. He's like the Lord thy God, and he changes not. I'm just, he, is, he is as stable and as faithful as the day is long. I'm thankful for them. We are here as a church family for each other. Just as I am thankful for these here, I could go around the room to every person sitting here. Are you the rock? Are you the stability for the person next to you, holding them up while God is fixing what's going on in their life? And in turn, they'll be holding you up when things are being fixed in your life. That's what it means to be in this body of Christ. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this word. Lord, I know faith is real and faith is effective. I know, Father, that you're going to begin to reveal things in our lives that we need to just slightly adjust and tune and change as we begin discipling those that are around us, begin helping them see that their faith can work and that you are a rewarder when you are sought after. So, Father, we seek after you to know you, to know your preferences, to know what you want to do in this world. It's not about us. It's about your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I thank you for that. Forgive me for my selfishness, for the times that it was just about me. I repent of those right now. And I seek first your kingdom. I lay aside me, less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. 
You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of His Word.